Welcome to day 53 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today move us into the fifth book of the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy. We're reading chapters 1 through 3 and also Psalm 22. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. The book of Deuteronomy is one of the most influential books in all of the Old Testament. Its particular theological vision will be a lens through which the historical books of Joshua all the way through 2 Kings are narrated. We might even think of it as a kind of hinge between the five books of the law and then how that Torah gets lived out or not lived out by the people in the historical books. It may also be the most frequently cited book by New Testament writers. The book's title in English is taken from its Greek title in the Septuagint. Deuteronomy means second law. This does not mean that it's a new law or of secondary importance, but because it narrates the second giving of the law to Moses on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, it gets named the second law. Its Hebrew title is Devarim, meaning words, taken from the opening sentence of the book, these are the words that Moses spoke. And that's exactly what the book will be, a whole bunch of words, a long speech given by Moses. In many ways, the first 11 chapters of the book operate like a kind of recap of last season on Journey Through the Wilderness before this new season, season 5, begins. So chapter 1 will primarily retell the story of why the original generation doesn't get to enter into Canaan. As we saw in the book of Numbers, fear and unbelief are the primary reasons given for why the journey through the wilderness took 40 years instead of 14 days, and why of the original generation, only Caleb and Joshua get to enter into the land. However, as Moses states, the children and grandchildren of the original group redeemed out of Israel, they will indeed possess the land, and the book will primarily be devoted to helping this new generation that has known nothing but the life of nomadic wandering in the wilderness to learn how to settle down and be a faithful people dwelling in one place. As you're reading these opening chapters, you may notice some slight alterations to the way the stories were narrated in Numbers. In Numbers, for example, Moses was the one who was commanded by God to send out the spies, but in Deuteronomy, it's the people who insist that the spies be sent into the land. In Numbers, the purpose of the spies' mission was to see if the land is as good as promised and to see if it is fortified. In Deuteronomy's account, the mission is simply to find the best route into the land and the cities located within the land. But notice that the primary theme in this first chapter is trust, or rather lack of it. The temptation the people have given into is fear, but the command is not to respond to that fear by becoming courageous. Rather, their fear is understood as a lack of trust. Repeatedly in the chapter, the Hebrew word for to give is used. God is going to give them the land if they will just simply trust him. Chapters 2 and 3 are connected to one another. In them, Moses narrates the nations Israel encountered in the wilderness on their way to the Jordan and the promised land. Again here, careful readers will notice the alteration of some details in this account. Here in Deuteronomy, as Israel encounters three nations, they make peace pacts with them essentially because they're family. The Edomites, Esau's descendants, the Moabites and the Ammonites, both descendants of Lot, are given land by God. 
Notice that in these three accounts, it's still Yahweh or God that is the giver of the land. God gives land not only to Israel, but to all the nations. From the Deuteronomic perspective, the earth belongs to the Lord, and it is God's to give and to take back as God wills. However, the two Amorite kings, Sihon of Heshbon and Og of Bashan, are not family, and they were not receptive to Israel when they were wandering, and so they and their people are destroyed. In both cases, the political and religious threat these nations pose to Israel is eliminated. These holy wars are no less problematic here in Deuteronomy than they were earlier in Numbers. However, it's important to note that, as will be the case throughout the period of the Judges, God alone gets the credit for these victories. Israel understands itself as a vulnerable people existing on the margins, often misused by nations like the Amorites. Through the lens of the Torah, like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah earlier in Genesis, the fate of these nations is connected to their violence, their idolatry, and their lack of hospitality that they show to God's vulnerable people. If I could briefly jump to the psalm for today, Psalm 22. There is language used there that I think illuminates these kinds of accounts. Certainly, Psalm 22 is best known because of its use by Jesus on the cross. That great opening line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the great prayer of those who feel abandoned and God forsaken. The psalmist also recounts the language used by those nations mocking these small people because they think that they will be delivered because of their connection to God. But then notice the psalm, like the reality of Christ's resurrection, does turn to vindication. God does hear the cries of the one who is abandoned. He didn't hide his face from me, proclaims the psalmist. And then notice in verse 28, because the right to rule belongs to the Lord, he rules all the nations. As messy as these holy war stories are to our modern sensibilities, it's important to try to read them through the perspective, like Psalm 22, of the abandoned, the weak, nomadic people faced with the challenges imposed on them by these warring tribes and nations. They affirm that it is the Lord and not their own might that rules the nations. As one of my seminary professors used to constantly remind us, those of us who read these texts as citizens living in peace, secure within the boundaries of the world's largest superpower, it will always be a struggle for us to empathetically read and understand the life and death risks that are at work in the lives of these people and the stories that they tell. Notice, for example, and even chuckle a bit at the description of the size of King Og. Not only is God bringing this little nomadic Israel the victory, but God is defeating rulers who sleep in iron beds that are 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. Good luck finding sheets for that super king-sized bed. Chapter 3 ends with a brief, heartbreaking narrative about God rejecting Moses' plea to reconsider his judgment and let him enter the promised land. Perhaps the point of this text is not so much to think about the unchanging will and judgment of God. Moses got God to change his mind in the past. But perhaps this text is a witness to the reality that life is quite short. The older I get, the more I realize that I will not accomplish everything that I hope to achieve in my life or in my ministry— No matter how many days or years the Lord gives us, there will always be more we wanted to do and could have done. Like us, Moses will need others to complete the mission that was given to him by God. He will have to trust that the journey of redemption will be carried on through Joshua and this new generation he has invested so much of his life in. 
And even more so, like us, Moses had to trust that the story he was recounting was actually God's story, and that he who began this good work in Moses would be faithful and would carry it on to completion. Well, that's a bit of a somber note to end on. Even though these texts are recapping a journey we've already been on with God's people, read them carefully looking for things you've not seen before. Listen to what the Spirit might say to you through them. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions. And do not fear. Trust that you are not forsaken, and God will finish His work in you. Our texts for tomorrow are Deuteronomy chapters 4 and 5. I'll talk to you tomorrow.